Not one single true Christ follower will have one syllable of complaint against Jesus Christ the moment he returns. Not one genuine believer in Jesus Christ will even consider the trials of this life compared to the eternal weight of glory to be revealed when Jesus Christ returns. Not one. The only thought they will have as they meet Jesus Christ face to face or they see him riding on the clouds, Jesus Christ, who is eternally victorious and always conquering, all they will say is, thank you, thank you for saving me. Well, a good day to you all and welcome to Live in the Light. Hey, we continue to be so thankful for the support of our listeners. Hey, in fact, before we dive into God's word today, I just want to encourage you that if God's been encouraging you through the messages and the teaching here at Live in the Light, then honestly and with all sincerity, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at our website at liveinthelight.ca or you can phone us up at one 844 light Today's message from God's Word takes us into a brand new series looking at the teaching of the last Old Testament prophet, Malachi. The message today for us is one of love and specifically the love that our God has towards us. Why is this so important? Well, because there are days when we are tempted to doubt the love of God. And there are days when we are tempted to redefine the love of God according to our standards and not His. Well, God is having none of it. And he calls his people to behold the awesomeness of his love. May the Lord do just that in our hearts today, loved ones. And as we said, this is the beginning of our series. So let's jump right into today's message and join our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, in Malachi 1 with a message entitled, I Have Loved You. They wanted riches. They wanted worldly power and worldly glory. They were desiring the temporal, external blessing of God. And when it did not come to them in the way that they expected, they then fired back and they accused God of not loving them the way that they think he should. How have you loved us, O God? Now just pause for a second and think about the question Israel's asking. And just think about how that question can often be found on the heart of God's people today. I suggest to you, it would rarely be spoken. There would rarely be a time where you openly would say, God, have you really loved me? How have you loved me? Show me. I think often in our minds and maybe in our hearts, there's the voice that is heard within us saying, have you really loved me, God? Show me, how have you? I don't feel that you've met my expectations and I feel that I've been let down by you, God. Have you really loved me? Because when life doesn't go as planned, when finances don't prosper as expected, when trials don't disappear as prayed for, when health is not healed as desired, when my relationships don't work out, when crisis erupts suddenly, when my dreams are unrealized, when culture is crumbling, when the church is weakening, it's here that the voice can begin to whisper up from my soul, 
How have you loved me, God? And some of us here right now in this room have been asking that very question. Now, what's so critical here is the people of God are basing God's love on their own standard of measurement. The people of God are playing judge and jury over God. Their problem is that their vision is so nearsighted. Their hearts are so hardened. Their minds are so clouded. They expect God's love to fit into their man-made box, into their own defined limitations, into their own classification. When you really, really think about it, the arrogance and the presumption of God's people accusing God of this in this way is staggering. And that arrogance and presumption is one of the great indictments of the church, or at least of our day today. Human beings point the finger of God and say, who do you think you are? And how could you do this? And you said you would. James Boyce says it very well this way. He says this, perhaps more than any other Old Testament book, Malachi describes that modern attitude of mind that considers man superior to God and that has the audacity to attempt to bring God down to earth and measure him by the yardstick of human morality. This is the world we live in today. We bring God down to our level and somehow we think that he's right where we are and we have the authority and the arrogance to accuse him of such things. This is without a doubt the attitude of our world. It could never be the attitude of the church, not the true church, especially regarding the love of God. So we will be tempted to question God's love. But how do we fight this? That takes us to point number two. It's this. We must define God's love on God's terms. We must make sure in our lives we are defining the love of God on God's terms, not our own, because we'll get it wrong. This leads us to the second part of verse two. Look at now. God says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. By the way, this is so gracious of God to even respond in this way. So gracious to provide an answer and to show them how much he loves them. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste to his hill country, left his heritage to jackals in the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now, verses two and four, you're like, huh? All right. Now, admittedly, there's some deep theological content here, but there's also beautiful theological content here. When contemplated properly will result in awe of the love of God. Now, what God does here in reply to the accusations of his lacking love is he compares Jacob with Esau. Jacob representing the nation of Israel or Judah Esau representing the nation of Edom. God calls here for a spiritual timeout and he essentially says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You want to talk about love? You want to talk about love? Who are my chosen people? Who are the ones I've set apart from birth? Who are the ones who are my recipients of my unending and forever salvation? 
The power behind what God is saying here is this, that every single Torah-minded Israelite would know this. They would know this. They would know what Jacob did to merit being chosen over Esau. The answer, nothing. Every law Uh, knowledge, Torah, knowing Israelite would know there's nothing Jacob ultimately did to make him better than Esau. It was the sovereign grace and sovereign choice of God Almighty whose ways are higher than our ways. We know that Jacob was chosen when he was in the womb. He was chosen even before he was created. We know by birth, Esau was the older brother. And just as much as privileged, if not more, than Jacob. We also know that Esau had the same Jewish father and the same Jewish mother, Isaac and Rebekah. And yet God chose Jacob in sovereign love. Jacob representing the nation of Israel and ultimately loved ones. Jacob from Abraham representing all those truly born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider the love of God over Jacob or Israel. Jacob, chosen, set apart, selected, blessed, delivered, instructed by God. When God's people attacked, God protected them. When God's people were weak, God empowered them. When God's people were destitute, God provided for them. When God's people wandered, God disciplined them. When they worshiped idols, God chastened them. But as promised, God restored them. He rebuilt them. He dwelt with them. He blessed them. Listen, he loved them in a way that no other nation in the world was loved. The Jewish objector might say, what about the 400 years of slavery in Egypt? What about the 70 years of captivity in Babylon? What about all the hatred against the Jewish people from all these other nations? But listen, listen, listen. Yes, but compared to Esau representing Edom, who would you truly rather be? I mean, who would you truly rather be? Would you rather be temporarily blessed or eternally damned? And this right here is a massive biblical truth that is said over and over again in scripture. Christians complain about their misfortune. They complain about difficulty, about trial, about health, about opposition, about pain, about sickness, about death. Christians complain about injustice, fatigue, hurt, and unanswered prayer. Christians complain about life. Here's what we must always, always remember though. Okay, ready? Think of this theological truth. Not one single truly born again Christ follower will be complaining the moment that Jesus Christ returns. Not one. Not one single true Christ follower will have one syllable of complaint against Jesus Christ the moment he returns. Not one genuine believer in Jesus Christ will even consider the trials of this life compared to the eternal weight of glory to be revealed when Jesus Christ returns. Not one. Not one true believer will be thinking about bank accounts, hospital stays, or unemployment. Not One, the only thought they will have as they meet Jesus Christ face to face or they see him riding on the clouds, Jesus Christ, who is eternally victorious and always conquering, all they will say is, thank you, thank you for saving me. Romans 8, look at this verse from Romans 8. Here's what Paul says. For I consider, I cannot tell you how much this is one of the powerful secrets of the Christian life. 
Our whole world, our whole society is built around, make it easier, make it more comfortable, make it about me, make it about my leisure, give me more money, give me more stuff. Let me just go through this life with no troubles. If you want that, you don't want God's will. Paul says, he went through a little bit himself, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They're not worth comparing to what? To the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. The reality of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is all his love, his love upon us, no amount of suffering on earth will even come close in comparison to the blessing, the glory, the beauty, and the everlasting joy that we will experience as soon as this life is done. I'm telling you, not one true believer will stand before Jesus Christ at the end and say, you didn't love me. Not one, not one, not one. It won't even be a thought. Not one true believer will dare to ever even have the thought in their mind, you didn't love me, because all they will see, all they will see, in fact, they will stand before Christ and they will fall down prostrate before Christ and they will say, how could you love me? How could you love me? When they see the, the scars in his hand and the wound in his side, how is it that you could love a sinner like me? See the problem of God's people in Malachi? When we define God's love as temporal prosperity and happiness, we will be gravely disappointed. Every time, loved ones, every time you think God's love means that you're richer and happier in the world's terms, you'll be gravely disappointed. But when we define God's love as being saved from eternal damnation and being saved to eternal bliss and glory, well, that's when today becomes another great day. That's when today all of a sudden in the root and the reality of the gospel becomes another day you can't believe you're alive to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting that this past week I was reading in my God time, Matthew chapter 10. And this is when Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles to do his work. And so he gathers them for a pregame speech, all right? This is all through chapter 10. It's so interesting to see the order of these things. Sometimes I saw this in a new way for the first time, but he gathers the apostles and say, boys, okay, here we go. We're gonna go out, we're gonna do some ministry. And here's his, here's his pep talk, okay? He's like, all right, I'm setting out his sheeps in the midst of wolves. Peter's like, whoa, all right? And he says, yeah, you're gonna go out and people are gonna hate you because of me. And they're going to drag you before governors. And they're going to malign you. Oh, yeah, and he says this. And yeah, and there's a really good chance you might be killed. The apostles are like, great, let's go, right? Right, right? And at the end of all that, this is what Jesus says. He says all this. And he says this. And he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life loses it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Go out there, apostles, sheep in the midst of wolves, dragged before governors, maligned, hated, maybe even killed. But anyone who loses their life for my sake, Jesus says, you will actually find it. Let me ask you, is God's love to you about worldly prosperity and your glory? Or is his love about that he has saved you to eternal glory? Let it not pass us by here in our North American context that always and to this day right now, 
The places where God is most powerfully at work through his gospel are the places where people are suffering the most. And the reason for that is, is where there's immense suffering that people quickly realize the world is what it really is, nothing. Tim Hamer, director of missions, came back from Lebanon just like a month ago, and he was there witnessing the thousands and thousands of refugee Muslims fleeing from Syria and wherever and coming in, and thousands of them are coming to Christ. Miracles are happening all over the place. They are witnessing the reality of the evil around them. They are seeing the world for what it is. The suffering is so real. They have nothing. Enter Jesus Christ. I don't want the world. Give me Jesus. Our problem here is that often all we want is what's opposite to the will of God. And I'll be first in line to say, my heart must change too. But I cannot get around what's being said here right now. God's love ultimately is not defined when my life is easy. God's love is ultimately defined for me that I was a sinner subject to Satan's wrath, Satan's judgment, or, or, or attack and, and, and my sinful uh, attack on me and all that. And then I'm freed from that in the Lord Jesus Christ. That for me is the greatest evidence of love that I could ever have that God showed his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This is his love. This is what we're called to understand. But the people in Malachi's day, they were defining God's love on their own terms. And therefore that was a critical mistake and they were, defeated. But when you define God's love on his terms, you realize that you can't be defeated. Why? Because think, God's love equals eternal love. God's love is eternal. And eternal love then equals eternal life. So the more we are focused on the love that leads to eternal love and therefore eternal life, the more we are motivated to live in the ways that we should. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. See what's happening? When all we think is God love, you, you love me to increase my paycheck. Well, then all of a sudden we're focused on what is now as opposed to what will be. And then all our, all our motivations become temporal as opposed to eternal. Just before we move on, Jacob, I have loved Esau. I have hated. That's a tough statement. Jacob's choosing is definitely the electing love of God, the sovereign choice and pleasure of God. And then inherently in this, even that word hated really means more rejected the rejecting of Esau. Without a doubt, some will protest right now and say, how can this be? How could Esau be hated? Now, remember this. The reason this is brought up in this context is that it's meant to bring comfort and assurance to God's people that they are his chosen people. It's a, it's a, it's a reference of love, of the choosing of Jacob. Charles Spurgeon recounted this. He's a, one, a woman once said to Charles Spurgeon, she said, I cannot understand in this text why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob at all. Now think about that. That is, that is more the mind-blowing part of this. How is it that we are loved at all? 
Jacob, chosen by grace, and so are we. So just let that humble you for a second. Just, just let the reality, if you're saved in Jesus Christ right now, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Why you? You can't answer that. Neither can I. It's not on your merit. Not that God saw ahead and said, you're going to make some right decisions, so therefore you're my kingdom. Ultimately, this is coming down to the grace and love of God that happened to fall upon your heart and your life. The love of God that is inexhaustible, unconditional, unconditional, and incomparable. The love of God. Let that humble you. Because ultimately we say, why you? Why me? You know, it's, the ways of God are higher than the ways of man. I, I'm so convinced as I read passages like this, and Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. You know, I like to liken it to this. When we try to understand the ways of God, the will of God, the sovereignty of God. It's like, you ever seen those um, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzles? That's a pretty big jigsaw puzzle. You know, it takes often like a whole summer to get one done. And often when you see the whole jigsaw puzzle finished, it's this beautiful picture of some sort. It's this amazing picture, you know? But let's say that the will and the ways of God is the, is the jigsaw puzzle completed in its entirety. You know what we're holding in our lives and in our understanding? We're holding one piece. That's all we got. We got one jigsaw piece of the puzzle. But we often dare to take this little tiny piece with no understanding of anything else, how it fits in, and we accuse God of not being just. And we tell God, but really the reality is the jigsaw puzzle that God holds is not a thousand pieces, it's infinite pieces. And we still have one. But we dare to look up at God and say, if I were you, I would do it differently. That doesn't work for me, man. When Paul says in Romans 9, and he's talking about this very issue, Jacob loved, Esau hated, and he says, you will protest. He says, but who are you to answer back to God? Does not the potter have right over the clay? Is not God in his perfect wisdom and infinite knowledge able to do what he's decided is best? But for us to stand back and say, no, I judge you, God, because I'm smarter than you. Step away from that individual. That, the arrogance of that to me is insanity. You say, well, how could God be this? How could I? There's so much you and I don't know. In fact, there's so much we don't know, we can barely come to a conclusion as to the ways of God and to understand his infinite, glorious, sovereign majesty over our lives, let alone the entire universe. Oh, if man would humble themselves and fall down and worship more often than complaining and questioning and accusing God of being something that he could never be. We will be tempted to question God's love, but we must define God's love on God's terms. And then finally this, number three, we must never underestimate God's love. Never underestimate God's love. Look at verse five. He says, your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of, of Israel. Your own eyes should see this. I think there's double meaning in this verse. The first meaning, I think it's this, that God is faithful to do precisely what he said he would do. He would conquer the enemies of Israel. The people of Israel would see his might and his glory and the people of Israel would shout out, they would say, great is the Lord beyond our own borders. Great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. But the second meaning is a theme throughout Malachi, even in chapter one. Look at chapter one, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun... To its setting, my name will be great among the nations. 
And in every place, incense will be offered to my name as a pure offering. Look now down at verse 14 of chapter one. Verse 14, it says, uh, Cursed be that she is a male flock and vows it and sacrifices to the Lord was blemished. Listen, but for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So there's a very distinct promise happening here in Malachi and all throughout scripture, of course. The fear of the Lord will extend to the nations. And you will see this and you will say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. So just place yourself as an Israelite in the day of Malachi, okay? Now just this, try to imagine them picturing this scene before us today. You say, what scene? Look up here, look up here. This scene, like us right now. In this year, in this land, at this time, even speaking this language, just try to imagine an Israelite in Malachi's day trying to see into the future 2,500 years later in a continent they didn't even know existed, speaking a language they could never fathom, representing dozens and dozens of languages and nations from all over the world were gathered to worship the one true God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, worshiping the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, honestly, the Israelite in Malachi's day would bet their life that this would be impossible. They couldn't even see the word of God going beyond Israel itself, let alone to see what this represents today. I bet you they would think there was a better chance of them climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. Just think about that for a second. It's a good one. <laughs> climbing to the moon on a rope of sand. What's the point? The point is this. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Listen, listen. Great is the love of the Lord beyond the border of Israel. How do we know? We're living proof, loved ones. We are living proof. This room right now is living proof. There's no more evidence needed. We are living proof that what? What, ready? We may never underestimate the love of God. Don't ever put limits on the love of God. Which I love the words to the song right here. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair, Adam and Eve, the guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then the chorus says this, next slide. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Don't ever, ever underestimate the love of God. The Lord says to us today, he says, I have loved you. I have loved you. Let us never dare to say, how have you loved us, God? How have you loved us? Let us say to him now, you have loved me, Lord, more than I could ever comprehend. You know, my final question for today is, I wonder who here today needs to receive the gift of love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 5.8 says, but God, maybe some of you are asking, how has he loved me? The answer is here. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He died for you, that your sins might be wiped away, forever gone, that you might be given the gift of love and therefore receive eternal life. The invitation extends to you today in this place right now. Oh, won't you be saved? Oh, won't you let yourself be loved with an incomparable, inexhaustible, incredible love of the Lord Jesus Christ, an eternal love that leads to eternal life? You say, what do I do? Give Jesus Christ your sin and ask him that he might give you his love. And then you will never, ever die. And you will receive a love that truly will never, ever fail. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. You can also write us at any time in Canada at 500 Great Lakes Boulevard, Oakville, Ontario, Canada, L6L6X9. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.